0: I want to go ahead and uh, before we jump in, I want to go ahead and say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. You know, this is a Yeah, let's, let's praise God for that. Yeah, this is a special day. This is a special day to honor and celebrate our mothers. You know, mothers do so much um, in our lives and families in many ways. They're like kind of like the anchors in our families. And I think our passage today actually works really well as we think about Mother's Day. Uh, last year, we were going through Second Corinthians for about the 20 of you that were with us then. Um, Paul was in the middle of a sharp rebuke to the Corinthian church, and we had to do a little bit of gymnastics to make last year's passage work, and we talked about that mama bear instinct, how mama bears are soft and cuddly, uh, but they will do anything to protect their cubs, including disciplining them, which is an act of love. Um, but this year on Mother's Day, uh, we get to talk about the other side of the mama bear. Uh, the more cuddly and warm side of love, the affectionate love. And no, our passage is not referring to mothers, but there is something about a mother's love that helps us to to greater understand the love of God. You know, Mothers uh, are one of our many earthly examples that help us to understand God's affectionate love. And so we can celebrate that today. But I also know on the other side of this, for some, Mother's Day can also come with mixed emotions inciting some sort of grief or loss or struggle that may be associated with this day. And so for us as a church, it does remind us to mourn with those who mourn and also rejoice with those who rejoice. And so whether you come in today mourning or rejoicing, our passage, it directs our hearts to the love of God that compels us and comforts us no matter where we are. You know, today we're officially at the end of the book of John. Um, and next week we start a new series called the upper room and the book of John, um, for the five chapters that we skipped, uh, this is going to be, this is actually Jesus's final teaching to his disciples before his death, which I think will be really helpful for us as a church, because really it's our instructions for the church, you know, Jesus in the upper room gives us instructions on how to be the church and to walk this life with Jesus. You know, we can say this for the upper room teaching and we can also say this for our our passage today. We can say that parting words are lasting words. The the, The last thing someone says, it's important. That's often what sticks with people. And in our next series, it's Jesus's last words before he dies. And also for our passage today, we see Jesus's last words in the book of John. You know, last week we saw Jesus give a little uh, fishing lesson and have breakfast with his disciples, and this week we get to see Jesus restore uh, bonehead Peter. You know, just to remind you, all of this happened after Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus, as where we are in the book of John, he's now living and talking and eating with his people after his death and resurrection, and if you remember with Peter, Before Jesus died, he chopped a guy's ear off uh, and he denied Jesus three times. And so let's just say it wasn't Jesus's finest moment. I mean, Peter's finest moment. And so I want you just to imagine with me the way that Peter had to have felt in this moment. You know, Peter in John 13 said he would lay down his life for Jesus. And then not even 24 hours goes by and Peter then denied Jesus three times. I mean, just talk about a quick turn of events. It's kind of a roller coaster of faith and doubt, which I think, unfortunately, we can all understand. And then Jesus, he then dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. He shows them his nail-pierced hands. He talks with them. He helps them catch 153 fish after a night of catching nothing. And then Peter, in his excitement, he jumps off the boat to go see Jesus. And then he has breakfast with them on the beach. So I don't know about you, but if I were Peter, I'd be fighting a little bit of guilt and shame. Kind of like a dog with my tail between my legs mixed in with also a lot of excitement. Kind of, it's that that roller coaster of faith. Because Peter, he had a threefold denial. And now Jesus wants to address it. And in our text today, Jesus offers him a threefold restoration. So let's go ahead and read uh, the first half of our passage and then i'll tell you um, where we're going to go with the rest of our time so let's look at uh, chapter 21 starting in verse 15. when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these he said to him yes lord you know that i love you he said to him feed my lambs he said to him a second time simon son of john do you love me he said to him yes lord you know that i love you He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so they're sitting there on the beach after a fun fun turn of events with Jesus. And I just kind of imagine uh, them in the afterglow of the excitement, kind of catching all of those fish with Jesus, uh, with the great charcoal smoke during uh, going from the fire, uh, with the sun starting to kind of heat up off that glimmering water, with the birds chirping, everyone's uh, relaxing with full bellies. And then as they sit there after breakfast, Jesus looks right at Peter. You know, I'd assume he's probably still a little damp because remember he just jumped in the water to go see him and Jesus looks at Peter and says Peter do you love me more than these and Peter says yes you know that I love you and he says feed my lambs and then two more times three times total Jesus said to Peter do you love me and in three different ways Peter affirmed yes and three different times and three different times after each one Jesus said feed my lambs tend my sheep and feed my sheep And I just want to point out that there are all sorts of talk around this word choice that that Jesus used for the word love. You know, in the English language, we have one word for love. But the original language here in Greek, there are several words for love. You know, the first two times Jesus says, do you agape love me? Like, do you have this divine, unconditional love? And Peter affirms, yes, I have a phileo love. It's like an affectionate friendship love so here on Mother's Day, in different ways from our mothers, I think we can understand glimpses of both, both the unconditional love and also this friendship, deep, affectionate love. And so our, mother, our mothers in God's design can help us to understand pieces of both of these types of love in different ways. But I want to point out the, the final time Jesus asked this phileo love, do you phileo love me, like that friendship, affectionate love, which again is different than the first two times Jesus said it. Peter responds in verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with that friendship, affectionate love. And as I said, there's all sorts of talk uh, on the interpretation of this. And as fun as it would be to run with this here on Mother's Day, talking about the different types of love, most scholars think, and I, and I agree, that the author is just using varying word choices as he's done throughout the book, showing that Jesus has all different types of love. And so I think in some ways, but uh, we could say Peter has become just self-aware from his past failure that his uh, that has historic his love has historically been conditional like he wanted to have uh, agape unconditional love but he knows from his past that his love what well, it was conditional his love for Jesus it swayed at times which I, again I think we all unfortunately understand this but the point is Jesus is asking Peter do you love me and each time Peter says yes And Jesus responds saying, well, then feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And in our time today, I want to, I want to really focus on the order of this interaction, because again, three times Jesus says, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes. And three times Jesus said, then because of that, take care of my people, feed and tend my sheep. And what's so encouraging about all of this is that this is the last thing that the author of John points out in this entire book. The emphasis on the final chapter of John is on loving Jesus. The author emphasizes that we must first love Jesus, and then out of that, secondly, we then love others. We serve others. We take care of others. And you see, this is so significant. Like, this is our—this is foundational to our relationship with Jesus. Because if we're honest with ourselves— including myself, like we get this often so backwards. Like it's easy to forget that first question. Do we first love Jesus? Is our first love Jesus? Is our love for Jesus what motivates us to love and serve others? Which leads us to our main idea for today. Our love for Jesus moves us to love others. Again, this is so simple and so foundational to our faith. But again, I think if we're honest, we would have to say our love for others is often motivated by other things. Like maybe our love for ourselves, or our ambitions or our comforts or pleasures. And we'll get into some of that today. But let's just kind of step back and think about this because when we start to really peel back the layers, we often see that this comes down to an issue of priorities. And I think we naturally get this maybe more than we think because when our priorities get out of order, it affects us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, and we could just go on and on. And I read a story this week about a consultant firm that I think will help kind of illustrate this. I know back in the 1930s, this firm, uh, they got an opportunity to talk with Charles Schwab, uh, who at the time was one of the most powerful men in the world. And Mr. Ivy Lee, uh, this very self-assured consultant He told Mr. Schwab that if he followed his advice, they would improve their company operation and increase profits, and Mr. Schwab responded, if you can show us a way to get more things done, I'll be glad to listen, and if it works, I'll pay you whatever you ask, you know, within reason. And then Mr. Lee, he handed Mr. Schwab a blank piece of paper and said, write down the most important thing you have to do tomorrow. And Mr. Schwab, he did just that. And then Mr. Lee responded, now number them in order of importance. And he, list, and he listened, and he did it. And then Mr. Lee said back, tomorrow morning, start on number one and stay with it until you complete it. And then after you finish, then go to number two, and then number three, and then number four. Don't worry if you haven't finished everything at the end of the day, because at least you finished the most important tasks. He said, he said, try this for several weeks. If you think it works, have your people try it and try it as long as you like. And then send me, just send me a check for whatever you think the idea is worth. And then several weeks later, Charles Schwab sent Mr. Lee a check for $25,000, which in the 1930s was a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of money today, but it would have been close to half a million dollars then. And I think we get the idea that having our priorities in order is really important. Like it affects our entire life because it's so easy to get them out of order and do whatever just comes easiest. And this is not just in our jobs, and our lives, I mean, in our careers, but also in our lives. And so Jesus here, he's restoring Peter at the end of the book and asking him, what are your priorities? Asking first and foremost, do you love me? And then out of that, if that is true, the second priority is love and serve others. Feed Jesus' sheep, care for them, love them, which leads to two very two very simple points for today. Number one, love God, and number two, love people. You know, John ends Jesus' ministry in this book by illustrating the first and second commandment, love God and love people. So church, just listen. If you do anything with your life, do these things and in this order. That's it. Priority number one in our life: love God. Priority number two: love people. It's not love our kids first. It's not love our spouses first. Our careers first. Our education first. And I know it's Mother's Day, but not even our mothers first. No, we first love God, and then out of that, we then love people. Like this is the formula for the Christian life. And I know for those who have been in church for a while, like this is a very com- these are very common statements. But I think if we're honest, it's much harder to do than to live. Like it's easy to say these things, but our passions and other desires very easily take over and get these things out of order. This happens every day. And that's typically the way it works. It's the most simple things in life that can often be the hardest. Here are a few examples. For all the moms and dads out there with small kids, like putting on their shoes at times can be the hardest thing in your day very simple yet incredibly challenging <laughs> or how about this like i don't i don't know why but something has happened over the past 15 years with communication like a, a simple phone call has become so hard but yet it's so easy like i love a good phone call i'm i'm not really a texting guy like my fingers they just kind of get tired like after about eight words, like I'm just done, I'm maxed out, but the phone is super easy. You just talk, and my fingers, like they don't cramp up, but for some, talking on the phone has become one of the scariest things in the world. Like people start to panic when someone they kind of know call them. In fact, sociologists have called this common fear telephobia. No, again, it's, it's the easy things in life that can often be the hardest, Like, love God and love people. That's the Christian life. Those are our priorities. Super simple, but incredibly difficult. Which leads us back to number one. Point number one love God. When we prioritize our life and our days, the single most important thing we do is to be unconditionally devoted to Jesus. I mean, from the very beginning, This has been God's design for us. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Like, this is the great commandment. And then Jesus, after he had breakfast on the beach, Jesus comes up to Peter and asks him these questions in John 21. Peter, do you love me? He says, do you love me more than these? And if you're like me, you may be thinking, okay, well, what are these that he's talking about? Like what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, do you love me more than these fish? Maybe thinking like these fish taste great. Do you love me? But do you love me more? My wife, she's not really a a fish person, so it'd be an easy question for her to answer. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I mean, Peter, yes, he's a fisherman, but uh, but the I think maybe the question is, Peter, do you love me more than your career? Would you give up your career for me? Again, Peter was a fisherman. Like, that was his career. That's a little different. That adds a little bit more weight. And, and I do want to note that these here, uh, it's just, this, it's an ambiguous term. It's, uh, but what I want to, but that's, that's a question to consider. Because that, uh, because that could be the case here. Jesus just asked the same question. Do we love Jesus more than our career ambitions? Would we be willing to lay down our career and our success for Jesus? And I'm not saying we can't be successful and love our work and our career and follow Jesus. No, that's silly. But if our career was hindering us from what God was calling us to do, would we be willing to give it up? Again, this is an issue of priority. Like what comes first, Jesus or our career? And just maybe that's what Jesus is asking here, asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than your boat and fishing? Or just possibly when Jesus said, Do you love me more than these? Maybe, just maybe, in this moment, maybe he was pointing to his friends or his brothers, his family, those who were on the beach with him, eating breakfast with Jesus, asking, "Do you love me more than your friends? Do you love me more than your family?" And and just to ask ourselves, do we do we care more about what Jesus thinks of us or what others think of us? Who are we looking to for fulfillment and approval? Is it Jesus, or is it a boss, or a friend, or a significant other, or a spouse? I mean, this is hard. This stings. I mean, how easy is it for us to get our priorities out of order? I mean, moms and dads, this begs the question, who are we putting first, Jesus or our kids? Again, we first love Jesus, and then out of that, we then love our kids. The order is important. Or just maybe... When Jesus asked Peter, "Do you love me more than these?" He really did mean, "Do you love me more than the actual fish?" But not the taste of the fish, but rather the gift of the fish. Because we need to remember, those fish, those were a gift from the Lord. Jesus just told them to go to the other side of the boat after a night of catching nothing. They followed his orders, went to the other side, and they caught 153 fish, and they had breakfast with Jesus. I mean, what a gift. And then just maybe he comes back to Peter and says, do you love these fish that I gave you more than me? Do you love this gift that I gave you more than me? That's a sneaky and subtle question that can kind of creep us up on us. Do we love the gifts of God more than God himself? Do we love the gifts more than the giver? New City, I I want to just be really open with you because this can so easily creep into our hearts you know the the Monday after our Easter service it was an early morning I was sitting down at the breakfast table like I always do just kind of spending time with Jesus before the kids wake up and I was sitting there just kind of in awe of what God had just done reflecting on our Easter service with all with the people and baptizing baptizing my oldest daughter just excitement of it all genuinely in awe of what happened but there came a moment that Monday morning when I had to say to myself and really just check myself saying God May I not worship the gifts over the giver. God, that was a lot of fun, but may my heart be more in awe of God and who God is than what he does. New City, these, are, these gifts are great. We should, we should celebrate them, but they're not greater than the giver. Yes, we celebrate a movement of God and God's provision and wonderful gifts, but may we as a church long for God's presence and God himself more than his good gifts. And just maybe that's how you come in today. And maybe you have a very tangible need. And we pray for that. We pray that God would bless that. But may we be careful not to desire the blessings and gifts of God over God himself. And here's just one of the many reasons of why we need to be careful of this. Because when those gifts don't come in the way that we think they should come, our joy can be stolen. Our gladness and peace can be taken from us. But when our desire is first the love of God, when our joy and peace and gladness comes first from the love of God and not circumstances or gifts, our source of joy, it can't be taken from us. Again, I'm not I'm not saying we we won't struggle and go through hardships. Like we're going to have to wrestle with hard things. And I'm not saying we don't pray for God's gifts. I'm just saying it's easy for our priorities to get out of order. It happens to all of us every day. And today is just another simple reminder to us That our love for God is the single greatest priority we have. Our relationship with God, being with Jesus, sitting at his feet is, and it will always be, priority number one in our life. Priority number one is not what we do for God. Priority number one is loving God. It's being with God. So we, number one, we we love God. But what we see is that the love of God, it doesn't keep us idle, no, the love of God, it moves us and it compels us. It moves us to number two, love people. Again, the order is so important. We do not first love others and then secondly love God. No, that's called idolatry. And also we do not love others in order to then receive the love of God. Now that's anti-gospel and that's religious nonsense. And to be very blunt with you, it's a lie from the devil. This is so important. Because the gospel tells us that receiving the love of God has absolutely nothing to do with what we do or how we act or how we behave. Because the truth is, just one of our sins has totally separated us from the love of God. Like There's nothing we can do to earn God's love back. Nothing we do will be good enough. I mean, isn't this so encouraging? Yet the gospel our good news, it tells us our standing before God because of the cross is solely entirely based on Jesus going in our place. Listen, if you're not a Christian or you're brand new with us today, what I'm saying right now is the single greatest truth you will ever hear, without a doubt. This is foundational to everything we're about here in our church. And it's this, that Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with what we do. And it has everything to do with what Jesus has done at the cross. Christianity is not do and behave for Jesus. Christianity is trust in the one who lived perfectly for us on our behalf. And when we trust in Jesus and believe that Jesus lived a sinless life as the son of God and died on the cross and rose from the dead, we get his perfect resume before God. We gain Jesus's standing before God. And it's not because of what we do or what we don't do, but entirely because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Believing that God loves us based on what we do may just be one of the single greatest lies from the devil our generation has ever believed. No, we church, we are able to love God because Jesus first loved us. And then out of that and because of that, we are then empowered and able to love others. God's grace and love towards us compels us to then love our neighbor. Again, this order, it is so important. And so in the last 10 to 15 minutes of our time, I want to break this last point, love others, into four brief subpoints that we'll see based out of our text that gives us insight into loving others. And the first sub point I want us to see from our text that we've read so far is letter A, love others by giving them Jesus. Again, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And Peter said yes. And Jesus responds by saying, well then, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So we need to remember here that Jesus, so far in the book of John, he's referenced himself as the good shepherd in the bread of life. And here he's drawing on those ideas that Jesus is the good shepherd and that people are his sheep. And I don't know if you, you know this or not, but sheep are dumb, Okay. They just easily forget. And what do we like? What 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 about us? Like we're forgetful people. Like we need to be constantly reminded and taught about the goodness of God. We need to regularly be fed Jesus, the bread of life. Like we need Jesus. And let's notice here that these sheep, Jesus says to feed and tend these sheep. And notice they're not our sheep; these are Jesus's sheep. And so, in many ways, our church, the people God has placed in our lives to care and tend and feed, they're not our people. Like Jesus has entrusted them to us to care for them and to give them Jesus. And just as a pastor myself, when I wonder, like, what am I supposed to do? This is it: feed the sheep, care for the sheep. But they're not my sheep; these we're Jesus's sheep. It's literally my job my job is to give you god's word and to care for your soul but i want to point out this is not just for pastors this is the duty of every christian how do we best love people we give them jesus we encourage people with the word of god and we care for them the way that jesus would care for them when he said feed twice and ten once which i don't want to read too far into this But to me, it seems to be emphasizing that the single greatest way we can love people is to give them the word of God and to remind people of the word, to know the word, to teach the word and speak it into people's lives. And then to simply just care for them. Like that's Jesus's final word to us on how to love people. I mean, yes, gifts and quality time and acts of service and all the things. They're great. We should do them. But giving people God's word and caring for them is the most important act of love that we can give. So letter A, love others by giving them Jesus. And then look what Jesus says in verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So basically Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus says, okay, great. Take care of my people. And then with what we just read, Jesus is like, oh yeah, uh, when you do that, you're going to be tortured and died a terrible death. So follow me. I mean, again, how encouraging we love God. And then we love people, but oh yeah, by the way, guess what? Some of those people, they won't love you back in fact, some will torture and kill you, and oh yeah, you will probably suffer too. Okay, now follow me. Which tells us and reminds us, her be loving others, it will cost us. I'm sure there's some sort of country song about this, but nobody ever said that love would be easy. Okay? No, love is costly. If we love people by giving them Jesus, that means that some will reject our love. And for some, like Peter, it may cost us our life. It may mean a life of hardship and suffering. But yet as the story continues, Peter knew this and he still followed Jesus. Peter preached at Pentecost, gave them Jesus, and 3,000 people were saved. And then he wrote a a, a letter called 1 Peter on suffering. Loving others is costly. When we embrace love and offer vulnerability and transparency, it also means we're embracing hurt and sadness. Because people are flawed and will hurt us and make us sad. This is just the world we live in. Listen to me. This is so important for us to get. Loving deeply means we embrace the pain of love. Because love is costly. Every mother and father knows this. Every marriage sees this. Those we love the most are also the ones that can hurt us the most. This is the cost of love. If we avoid the pain of love, then we also miss out on the gift of love. So how do we love deeply? We have to give out of a never-ending supply of love. We have to go back to point number one, love God. Because you know who will never hurt us? It's Jesus. And I know it's a Sunday school answer. But that's why getting our priorities of love in order is so important. Because Jesus is our solid foundation of love. His love is perfect. It doesn't mean we won't be hurt. It just means our our primary foundation of love is stable and sure, and it can't be taken. Loving others is costly. Giving others the love of Jesus is costly. If we're going to be a church that sends people to the hardest and farthest corners of the world to tell people about the love of Jesus, where people are often killed for following Jesus, New City, the only way this happens is in a fearless and joy filled way, is if the love of Jesus first compels us. Like guilt driven missions and ministry and love will not sustain us. If we're going to be a church that loves our city and serves the overlooked and marginalized and shows the radical and deep love, unconditional love of Jesus, our motivator must be the love of Jesus. If we're going to see marriages and relationships restored, we must be a people that embrace that love is costly. Costly love means serving and sacrificing, but not compelled by guilt or obligation, but but compelled by the love of God. Our model of love is the love of God, which looks like dying on a cross as an innocent man for a guilty world. That's what Jesus modeled for us. God's love was costly, it cost him his son. Again, loving others, it comes with a cost, but then the next thing we see here is that it then leads us to restoration. And so I'm going to give you uh, the next point in just a second, but we need to remember that this entire section, Peter is being restored. You know, we've said this a million times, it seems like. Uh, just Peter was a total bonehead. He denied him three time, Jesus three times, but here, by the love and grace of Jesus, we see Jesus restoring Peter. But I want you to notice that nothing about this restoration was fast. Jesus didn't say Peter, do you love me and then they just respond yes and they go about their day. No, it was a slow process. In fact, in verse 17, it says it grieved Peter. Which shows us and reminds us today, let C, see, to see loving restoration is slow and grievous. As much as we want change and restoration to be quick and easy, it's just not. We want to change quickly. And we often want others to change quickly. Sometimes this happens and oftentimes it doesn't. But all this to say, this is a simple reminder for us today that loving others, seeing relationships restored, marriages and relationships with our kids, with hard relationships with hard friendships, broken relationships, they take time to restore. It takes time and patience. Some things happen quick, but many things take time. But the love of Christ reminds us to embrace a life of patience and slow methodical restoration again just a gentle reminder we see that restoration is slow and sometimes grievous but even in that it's still good loving love means embracing patience in restoration as that said I want to go ahead and read the rest of our text to get to our last sub point so again look, Jesus just said Peter you will be tortured and die now follow me and then we read in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said Lord who is that uh, who, who is it that is going to betray you which just to point out that's a really roundabout way of saying he looked at John okay and look at verse 21 when Peter saw him he said to Jesus Lord what about this man Jesus said to him if it is my will that he remain until I come what is that to you you follow me so the saying spread abro- abroad among the brothers that his disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if, is, uh, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And in the final verse of the book, in John 21, 25, this is what it says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, For every one of them to be written I suppose that the word could not contain the book that would be written so Peter he was on the beach with Jesus Jesus said you will die a torturous death so follow me and then uh, looks at John and says well what about him did he die will he die too and Jesus basically says don't worry about him worry about yourself which is a great reminder for us that our calling on our life is our calling it's not anybody else's calling like someone else's calling is not our calling. God calls each of us to different things and in different ways. And Jesus here reminds us about the joy stealer of comparison, which leads us to our very last subpoint to end our time. Letter D, loving others avoids comparison. Now, maybe this seems like a really strange way to end, but I think it makes sense. Because in order to love others best, our job is to first follow Jesus, is to love Jesus and be satisfied with what God gives us and not be worried or concerned about what God gives or does for others. And I'm not sure how you came in today, but I think our passage reminds us just to simply remember our call. Jesus simply says to us to end the book, follow me. Don't worry about what I've called others to, you simply follow me and love me. New City, that's our call today. Our call is to simply follow Jesus. Our call is to first grow deeper in our love and devotion to Jesus, and then out of that, we love and serve others. So if you're not sure what to do with the rest of your life, I can say to you with confidence, do that. Follow Jesus, love God, and love people, and everything else will fall in place. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, there's so many things in our life that can easily distract us from the love of God. God, we have a gift to come to every single day, a gift of your love. And so, Father, as we just meditate on the love that you give to us, Father, would we first come to that? Would we get our priorities in order to first love you? God, we need your help. God, we're grateful for this. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.